friends, children of all ages. I'm going to try and uh, do a show. And it's uh, it's been quite a while. Um, and um, I guess for a bonus, I found the, um, the show that I did uh, before um, I was sick. And that was the one that I had accidentally hit the uh, mute button on my headset. And so I'm going to go ahead and uh, throw that in the uh, punch bowl, stew bowl, whatever. Uh, what do you call it? Smorgasbord? That's not a bowl. Anyway, um, going to throw that one out there for the production crew to uh, get out to you too because... I was looking at the notes from that one, and a lot of the stuff, it was so long ago that I, man, there's no way I could, I could comment on it, but it was, I mean, it was like, uh, Jesus Christ, when was that? Um, beginning of January, I think, um, but just to keep you all up to date, I know that some of you that, uh, uh, follow us on Facebook, and stuff like that, um, I got sick. And I got really, really sick. Um, Not the flu. They tested me for the flu, which they take these uh, swabs on these sticks that are, God, Jesus Christ, about like 10 inches long. And the woman told me, she goes, "Uh, this is not going to be very much fun. She goes, uh, the best way I can describe it is we stick one up each nostril and you're going to feel like we're, we've stuck it up in there so far that we are tickling your brain. Well, she was not lying. Um, that one came back, that came back negative for flu, but again, they said that those tests are not, I, somebody told me that they were only like 60% accurate, plus there were two types of flu going around. But from the diagnosis was I had a, um upper respiratory infection. Um, I guess it was a viral infection in my chest. And if I did not have pneumonia, I was about as close to having it as you can get. And um, that's one of the reasons... There was no possible way whatsoever. Number one, I felt like complete hell. Um, But um, I was just coughing so bad that, I mean, I swear to God, I I pulled like, I don't know if it was cartilage or what, in my ribs and my back, coughing. Um, Coughed so hard that, you know, I would throw up. Uh, Coughed so hard that I, I literally could not stop and it was awful um and i i would say for about two weeks the only way that i could sleep and i would only sleep for maybe an hour and a half a day uh was sitting up in a chair with a towel around my neck almost like a neck brace when you have whiplash because um just to if number one it kept me from coughing uh if i laid down on my back or laid down on my side i mean i could just feel that i called it swamp water in my lungs just and it would i would start coughing so 
badly that, you know, I would literally end up rolling off the, the couch onto the floor on my hands and knees and usually cough until I threw up. Um, so anyway, that, and it took a long time. I went to the, back to the doctor like four times, um, got on all kinds of steroids, antibiotics, uh, inhale, two different kind of inhalers, uh, nebulizer. Uh, the last time I went, it must've been pretty close because I, I, like I said, I missed like two full weeks of work. I could have missed three, but I ended up going back and, um, (coughs) you will have that probably through the episode where I'm covering up the mic and there's still a little bit of congestion in there. It's just, you know, cough every once in a while. Um, but the last time I went, I had a coughing fit so bad, uh, so badly after work when I came home, um, it seemed like if I ate something, um, it would trigger the coughing and then it would get really bad. Uh, so they said, you know, you probably have acid reflux, which I have said on the show before where I was getting, um, that frog in my throat constantly. I mean, like doing the show or any other time, like even, you know, singing or whatever, my, my voice would crack like it has never done before. And, um, they said, you know, it's probably acid reflux when you eat, it's causing your, uh, it's eroding your esophagus and it's causing that to be irritated, which is then causing you to start coughing. And then when you start coughing, you know, trigger the effect. But the last time I went, um, it was pretty bad. I was going to go to the emergency room, uh, the night before, and I ended up waiting and going to, uh, the doctor, they gave me a breathing treatment. And after that one, um, it, I think, you know, it must've getting that medicine in my lungs and then, uh, you know, getting that cool steam or cool, uh, vapor in there and everything must've broke it up because, and I actually just started feeling better. There were several times where I, um, just sitting here for so long, you know, like almost like a captive in the house and being sick. Um, if I was sitting, um, and suppressing the cough, um, I would be like, you know, maybe I need to get off my ass and get moving and go back to work. Well, you know, that happened several times and I would get up and as soon as I would stand up, I was like, Oh, there's no way. And a couple of times where I actually got in the car and almost drove all the way to work and, and was coughing so hard that I, like I said, I could just feel my ribs, you know, like spreading and uh, I just hurt and I'd turn around and go home. But like I said, the, probably the third week, um, I probably still could have taken that week off, but I, I went ahead and went and, um, now I feel pretty good actually able to, you know, work out and do stuff, you know, just anything, but physical activity. I mean, just sitting at home and, and that's one thing I was telling my mom was, um, it did not, you know, it did not, I wasn't like sick to my stomach. I would throw up just from coughing, you know, gagging from, you know, coughing so hard. And uh, like I said, maybe from the acid reflux and stuff like that, but I would eat. And then all I was doing was just lay sitting in a chair 
And then when it finally could lay down, just laying, you know, laying flat, even that third week when I didn't go back to work, um, or when I did go back to work, I would just come home and for probably another week, um, you know, like seven days, just laying on the couch and barely moving and trying to get some sleep and stuff like that. And, you know, my God, I think I gained like about 10 pounds or 10 or 12 pounds. And so now, and and, and I'm just like, you know, I... I'm so used to, even if it's walking or, or doing something, you know, and, uh, it was just miserable. So anyway, finally getting over that, uh, had the day off and, uh, it's early, uh, Saturday morning. And I thought maybe I'd jump on here and talk about a few things, get you all up to date on my disease, <laughs> my sickness. I swear to God, there were time I, I got like two chest x-rays and they said I didn't have pneumonia, but the last time... They gave me, um, I think that was an antibiotic, and it was, they said it was the pill, you know, it was what they give people that do have pneumonia, and it was a big old horse pill, and those steroids, they they messed my stomach up, I mean, badly, badly, loaf saved me on that, because it was just like, all the food was going in, and hardly anything was coming out. And so then, and then some of the um, side effects of some of those pills were uh, like constipation and uh, uh, bloat, uh, like bloat and uh, distended, you know, distended stomach and all this. And I'm sitting there like I am pregnant, like my stomach is about ready to explode and pop. And I was talking to Loaf, we would talk online because I was sick and just sit there and talk. And um, um, he said, you know, you need to take some milk of magnesia. Well, you know, all growing up, I just thought like milk of magnesia was like uh, Pepto-Bismol. Like it stopped you from going to the bathroom or whatever. Or if you had acid reflux or something like that, it was like a chalky stuff that you put in there to keep you from getting heartburn or indigestion. And uh, I had just bought a great big jug of it. And it was not even open but and I didn't know and he said he had had surgery and you know before you leave the hospital they want you to have a you know bowel movement or whatever and um he said take that milk of magnesia you know and he goes that's what they gave me uh to get things going (laughs) um after my surgery and I was like well you know okay and I went in and took a big whole cap full of it and within like 30 minutes but it it did a little bit I mean not just a little bit a lot but then I was just right back to where I was I was I was taking some of that every day and it didn't seem like it was you know it would work a little bit but you know so anyway all the everything's back on track that was I mean every, I, sh- I shouldn't say that was the worst Everything was the worst. Um, I feel bad for anybody that has had this this flu. We had a lot of people around here that had it, um, you know. And I, you know, I know some people can't help it because they have uh, work at jobs that don't have paid sick leave. But you know, I've said a million times. I mean, if if you're sick like that, 
you know, I know a lot of people that I work with, they'll try and soldier through it and they'll come to work. Then they cough all over everything. Or even if they're not coughing and they just have the flu or something, they're touching all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, I'd wipe off my, before I got sick, because somebody I was working with was, had a horrible cough for like, God, it seemed like a month, you know, wipe off everything, you know, when I would touch a doorknob or something, I would take my jacket and cover my hand and all that stuff, and you're just bound to get it, you know, even if it's just through the air or whatever, so, I mean, if you can, you know, try and stay home, because number one, you can just make yourself sicker, but you can, you know, God, you don't want to cause an epidemic, I was just watching or listening to a podcast um, where they were talking about uh, the chances of a of a big epidemic happening, and one of the things they were talking about was in China, uh, the people raise chickens and pigs, and they live like really close to them or right right there by them. And the way it was explained was, you know, when you talk hear about these bird viruses or you know pandemics and stuff like that these say you have a virus that is that um, is basically a a virus that involves you know fowl chickens birds whatever Um, when they are living in such close proximity to pigs if the virus mutates and to where it becomes, you know, a virus that pigs can get. You know, pigs and uh, pig flesh and human flesh are very similar. Very similar. Uh, that's why, like, you know, when John Wayne or whoever, the first, like, heart valve surgeries and stuff like that, they would use pig valves uh, from a pig heart in a human, and it works. And, again, I've said, I think, on the show before, when I saw some things about firemen, and they said, you know, a lot of firemen, they won't eat pork because the smell of a human's burning flesh um, actually smells like a lot like, you know, like bacon and and pork uh, uh, being cooked or burned. Um, so anyway, um, if it gets in the pigs, then gets in the humans. And, and they were talking about how um, a lot of these pharmaceutical companies, um, the the drugs for flu and stuff like that are generic so they can't make that much money off of them so they will not stockpile um, these flu medications and come up with new ones the ones that we have now the way they explained it were basically based on the same flu medications that were given to soldiers in like World War II uh, because there were a lot of soldiers that died in World War One and World War Two of flu, on bo- on all sides. You know, flu does not distinguish between fascists and Americans, Canadians, Australians, it's Italians, Japanese, whatever, Russians, whatever. And uh, all the money that you know they want to spend on race baiting and you know building a wall and all that stuff. Um, they could use for um, you know creating new vaccines and stockpiling uh, and I'm you know I know a lot of some of our listeners you know quite a few of our listeners aren't in the United States but they were talking about in, within the United States we we um, have countries 
like in Mexico and India and places like that, that uh, we get our pharmaceuticals from. They actually make them. And that we need to subsidize, even if it's the government, you know, because that's one thing they were saying was a lot of the the, um, uh, um, research and, and, and stuff like that is done with taxpayer money. And at one time, you know, the actual, the, the military, uh, were, the, the, were experimenting and making a lot of these, um, vaccines and drugs that pharmaceutical companies would not make on their own because it wasn't profitable. And I'm sure, you know, my God, how many movies are there about, you know, contagion and bird flu and, and pandemics and stuff like that that come and, you know, kill everybody. Look at the, the, the well, you know, The Stand, uh, the Stephen King movie. Now, I can't remember, that was a, a, a military-created uh, bioweapon uh, that Ed, Ed Harris created. <laughs> Got out and killed everybody that was not, uh, I don't know. Either the people that weren't, I, I think it was, uh, you know, I can't remember because I, I didn't read the book. I only watched the miniseries, Rob Lowe, Molly Ringwald, and uh, and uh, those people. And uh, but I think that you know the the whole thing was that the, it was a bioweapon, uh, and uh, it got out and killed like everybody on the planet, except a, a, a certain few that uh, for some reason it did not affect. And then, you know, you had the good, it was almost like uh, the Ten Commandments with Moses and his people. You had the the good people, and then you had all these heathen people that were, you know, living like uh, um, Edward G. Robinson worshipping the fatted calf and a, a weird um, dystopian Mad Max-like... Uh, group of people that uh, were like marauders and stuff like that and uh, was it Jamie Sheridan um, from Law and Order was he in Law and Order he was on the one with Goran I think and then he ended up getting Bell's palsy and for a while there on the show he wore a patch over his eye because uh, he's had the you know paralysis and stuff like that but um, a Randall flag. Uh, you know, you had a lot of religious stuff going on in the uh, in the stand. Um, but anyway, um, so I got sick. I'm back. Uh, hope anybody else uh, that does have that shit uh, survives. And I actually did get the flu shot, but like they, you know, they were saying the the, the flu shot uh, was only a small percentage effective against whatever this shit was. Uh, or whatever the two going around and so anyway it was miserable and I'm glad that uh, I got through it I did not think it was ever going to end because it was pretty much a complete almost like a complete month of being sick and I mean I'm talking about (laughs) it felt like about 30 days even after three weeks uh, um, when I started feeling better I still felt you know run down and stuff but at least the cough was uh going away and that was you know that started making everything a lot better still have a little bit of it it you know but uh nothing like i couldn't even like talking right now i would be coughing so bad badly that i would you know it would be impossible 
But that's a long, you know, that's about a 20-minute uh, deal there of me getting you guys up to date on why uh, the show had not <laughs> come out and what's going on. Um, and the thing is, you know, uh, when you start getting a little bit older, you know, and uh, have other health stuff, uh, that's one thing I was worried about with, you know, having a previous heart thing that, uh, you know, you, you have to worry about uh, uh, getting in a weakened state and uh, something like that, make, making your heart have to work, you know, too hard. Um, and, but I, you know, as far as before being sick and everything, I was in pretty good shape and just had a stress test, just had all the all the bells and whistles done and working out and doing cardio and all that stuff, you know, I, I can, you know, pretty much, uh, handle that. But you start thinking, you know, what about these people that get that and they are, you know, senior citizens and they're not in good shape. There were, there were several people that died from this flu and, and that includes like younger people. I saw, uh, uh it was within, in this area or not this direct area, but I think it was like in within like a hundred miles or something like that. A twelve-year-old kid died from getting that flu. So I should have done a <laughs> I should have done a show on uh, uh, movies about the you know like pandemics and stuff like that. But um, I'll maybe I'll put that up for discussion on the group. We can find some different ones that we can look at. Um, getting down to some movies and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's a lot of, and I said it before, well, you, you know, yeah, you won't, you'll probably be hearing the show I did about a month ago <laughs> that was going to get scrapped, um, but I've been watching a lot of TV shows, and if you listen to this show, you'll know for a long, long time, when everybody would be talking about Game of Thrones and all these series and stuff like that, I would, you know, always be watching movies. And I would say, you know, I don't watch that many series. I don't, I just, you know, I just don't. I watch movies and I, uh, getting into a long series. And, you know, every once in a while I would like, you know, get into something like Justified or something like that. But I think the main reason now that I have started watching a lot of series is because of Netflix um having that you know if you have their service you can download a whole bunch of stuff to your iPad and um so then you know if I'm out and about and I have time and everything I can watch some of these series and I kind of got hooked <laughs> on some of them. and a lot and some of them are older you know older stuff uh, a lot of the uh, CW DC comics like Flash uh Arrow Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, and stuff like that, um, I have been watching. And one of the reasons with, with those, and of course I'm a comic book fan and everything, I never watched them, um, is that they've been going on for quite a few seasons. And so it gives you a lot of stuff to you know to look forward to and to, and to, to get into. Um, and some of the other stuff is just Netflix originals, Netflix original series and Netflix original movies that they are putting out and some of it's pretty good. So we'll get into that and um let's get let's get the ball rolling. Uh, I was going back uh through the Silver and Gold group and looking for stuff that uh, I had posted and other people had posted uh to get an idea of what I had watched because it's been a while. And um uh, without stepping on the toes of the 
of the other episode uh, that I uh, will we will be putting out. You know, the kind of half episode. I think it went. Uh, it might have went like an hour and 20 minutes, and then I didn't realize that I had accidentally hit the mute button. So, you know. Um, anyway, I watched uh, 2013's uh, Inside Lewin Davis again when I was sick. Of course, that's directed by Ethan Cohen and Joel Cohen. One of the reasons I watched this was because um, I there was a documentary that came out uh, about Doc Pomus. And Loaf and I were, again, you know, on our, on our, he was probably on his laptop and, or iPad, I don't know which. And I was on my iPad while I was sick and, you know, we would, you know, get on there and I almost wish we would have had a, uh, well, like I said, I couldn't talk. I was going to say if we could have just uh, recorded some of those conversations, but it was mostly just, you know, IMing. Um, but we were talking about that movie and um, uh, John Goodman's character. Uh, one of the things that brought up was um, the. I told him, you know, uh, I love the movie. I love the music, of course. And uh, I, I had looked up um, a lot of who uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen had based uh, the characters on. You know, um, they used. A lot of uh, uh, of the old uh, New York folk um, scene, the people that were there as like templates for some of the characters. Now, of course, uh, uh, some of those people and their friends would come back and say, "Well, that's bullshit." You know, so and so wasn't like that. Well, again, it was you know loosely based, and a lot of that was, I think, um, how they were musically. And then, of course, the Coens like uh, like uh, kind of strange and uh, interesting people. Um, and Doc Pomus was the inspiration. Ins- well, like I could say more like the inspiration because um, you had certain things in the movie where um, uh, Gene, uh, who was played by Carrie Mulligan. Um, when Lewin Davis goes and talks to the producer and says, um, you know, and plays uh, the Queen Jane song and everything, um, um, the producer, of course, you know, kind of tells him, hey, I just don't see any, any, uh, you know, anything in it. I don't think it'll be marketable, blah, blah, blah. But maybe if you get with another guy, shave the beard down to a goatee, I can put you with the, uh, this other guy and a girl that I've been working with, and you can be a trio. Do you do harmony? Well, that was kind of a nod, or based on, or the inspiration for you know uh, Peter, uh, uh, Peter Paul and Mary were the inspiration for that little segment, and um, but the Doc Pomus uh, documentary. I started looking up some of his music. Hang on one second. I'm gonna go let the mutts out so they can pee. This commercial break is sponsored by the Mutts Have to Pee. Okay, so anyway, um, what I was talking about was, um, you know, the, uh, Doc Pomus, and he uh, wrote a lot of songs, almost like Jimmy Webb or somebody like that, Chris Christopherson, that wrote a lot of songs for other people. Um, he was kind of a, not a, 
uh, physically gifted person. I think he had polio and like the John Goodman character, he, he was on crutches all the time. And, and, uh, even the John Goodman character seemed like it was more, um, um, he was kind of a, a music snob. Like, uh, they, I think they portrayed him more as being like a, um, a, uh, a jazz musician. And I, I don't know if they if they said uh, uh, what instrument he was supposed to play. I know that he was saying, you know, uh, we we use. He was making fun of Lewin, and because he said, you know, uh, you know, what do you play a ukulele and like three chords or something like that? We play the whole, you know, we we use all the chords. And he was just a real asshole. Um, again, like the Lewin Davis character, I don't think Doc Pomus was that kind of, you know. Uh, that kind of guy in real life um, but um, the type of music like he, he wrote songs for like Elvis and it was uh, from what I found it was like a lot of um, like 50's music um, but one of the things that I found on there was um um It was almost like a, a restaurant. I'm looking it up right now. I, I had it. Uh, Loaf found it, and it was really cool. Um, Fred Harvey's Oasis Dining Room. Now, this was um, the dining room when Lewin is going um, from New York, I think, to Chicago with Johnny Five and um, John Goodman's character. And they stop in this place, and I was asking Loaf because I was watching it while I was talking to him, and um, I, you know, and I, and I was talking about the cinematography and just the locations um, and how well all that was done, how well all of it was shot. But not only that, but the the the, the locations uh, f- uh, that they got or that they created or got um, for the time period, and and the cars and the costumes and all that. Well, um, that I th- I asked him. I said, it almost looked like a uh, a uh, a restaurant or something in a an airport or in like a uh, I know at the, t- the the in the scene it's late at night. Like they are driving and say they stop at this place at like two o'clock in the morning to get coffee and something to eat. Johnny Five is is uh you know with his little stubby pencil is writing out a poem. He's almost like a a Jack Kerouac or uh, somebody like that, and um, he's kind of reading the poem. and And um, John Goodman's character gets up and goes in the restroom. Lewin goes in later and finds him. Uh, he has shot up heroin and and uh, collapsed and fell out of the bathroom stall on the floor. I don't know why I'm laughing at that. But I just love the look of that. Um, of that, it ended up it's a restaurant. Like I said, the uh, Fred Harvey Fred Harvey's Oasis Dining Room. Um, and um, the one thing I've always liked is in movies, and you see this in like the I think the Friends of Eddie Coyle and and other movies like that, where number one you get the experience of that time. Uh, but I also love the look of, say, somebody walking at night in the evening 
uh, you know, after dark in, say, uh, the fall or winter, and they're walking by a place like that, and there's these huge windows, and you can look inside, even in uh, French Connection, when um, um, Popeye and Cloudy are outside and they're staking out uh, the, uh, the frog, Frog One, and he's in this restaurant where it's warm and and everybody's in there and they're all having a good time and somebody and not just somebody being miserable outside but just walking by and and that look of the, the bright lights all this stuff going on inside and you're walking by even you know a, a lot of the movies that take place in New York um back in say like the 60s or 70s um like Blast of Silence kind of has that, but but it's in black and white. So it, uh, and I like that it was in, it was in black and white. But uh, it it takes away a little a, a lot of what I'm talking about, which is um, you know all the colors because uh, a lot of times in the scenes I'm talking about it would be like say around Christmas time or something like that. Um, but I just love that that almost voyeuristic like look of um walking by <coughs> walking by a window and looking in seeing everybody in there but not only that in that scene in Lewin Davis is um you have a, a, almost like a voyeuristic shot of say if you were in that place in that Fred Harvey's Oasis dining room um they shoot from uh, a long way away cuz it's a huge room full of tables and chairs and because it is only you know say like i said like two o'clock in the morning or it's it's very early in the morning or very late at night uh there's hardly anybody in there and you see lewin and um um johnny five and john goodman's character sitting you know it seems like a long way away at this table and they put you in the perspective that you're say at another table and the place is almost empty you know and and it just reminds me of uh, a lot of times when i would travel which i haven't been doing that much lately and uh, i was thinking even last night about you know um i need to start you know i used to like just getting in the car and even if it wasn't staying overnight or something but just driving and and a lot of my stuff would i would at night um and stopping even during the day when we would go to you know go to horror hound if i was by myself if i was with somebody else with justin or somebody else or whatever but you know just stopping at that little roadside place or a rest stop or something like that and i mean there it's just like creating memories you see people and uh you know just stopping in a place and getting uh you know getting some gas and and running in and getting something to eat like uh, you know when my mom and i uh stopped at a place in the god south carolina or north carolina it's right there probably North Carolina because it doesn't take too long from where we stay coming back to get into North Carolina. And we stopped at this place to, to get gas and to go to the bathroom and to, you know, get some coffee or something like that. And there's just like, I don't know if it was a chicken. I don't know what kind of fucking bird that was. It was like, looked like a goddamn road runner or something, you know, right, by, right, right by this place. You know, there's, it, it was just kind of interesting. You know, you get story when you're driving like that. If you, if you, like for the most part for me going to Whorehound, whether it's Cincinnati or Indian now Indianapolis is more uh interstate Cincinnati the way that I go is a rural highway um a good part of the way which is a lot different than an interstate because 
interstate it becomes so generic um you don't get to see that much and um with a rural highway you you can get off at these little places and they're everywhere you know um and uh, with the interstate it, it gets you there a lot faster but you lose a lot by not going through like the little towns and stuff like that being able to stop at you know I don't know, different little shops or restaurants or even just places, like I said, to go to the bathroom and seeing like local people. Um, but anyway, that was uh, something that uh, the Loafster and I were involved in <laughs> talking about. But the Doc Pomus thing, um, one thing I wanted to bring up for the for the wrestling fans. Now, I never looked up whether this is true or not, but I um, on a on a message board that I'm on, uh, there's a couple people that are really uh, into they are musicians and they're into music like jazz and blues and and stuff like that and um i brought up the, uh doc pomus and um and all that and um one of the people actually said that he wrote the um hillbilly jim i think theme song from the wwf wrestling uh, don't go mess with the country boy i don't know if that's true or not i'm gonna look that up right now let's see doc Pomus they tree boy I bet you it's not true he's probably fucking messing with me let's see don't go messing with the country boy Doc Pomus yeah so that's kind of it's kind of funny you know uh, the, uh, I don't know why I, I yeah I guess you know if you need money any song you write and then you get royalties and all that and that's what it's all about being a songwriter he's an interesting character which like I said a lot of those people were um, um, David Van Ronk and um, oh my gosh the guy that uh, Kylo Ren played I think that he was rambling Jack Elliott in real life which was not his real name just like in the in the movie uh, he portrayed himself as this cowboy, wore a cowboy hat, blue jeans, and boots and stuff, but he was actually like a, a Jewish guy from the Bronx or something. And I think that's uh, how Ramblin' Jack Elliott was. Um, and that's... Uh, let's see what Ramblin' Jack Elliott's real name was. Ramblin' Jack Elliott. His real name was Elliot Charles... Adnapaz, and he was from Brooklyn, New York, but he was this country uh, folk singer. He played really played up the cowboy hat and all that stuff. Um, so you know, I like I like uh, the, uh, Coen Brothers. Uh, you know, in that movie because, like I said, the the music I I that movie I just loved it all the way around. I've talked about it before, so I'm probably getting a little going on a little too much about that. Um, I finally got back on because, like I said, because I was sick and I was kind of a captive audience uh, and had Netflix. Um, and when you're literally awake like 22 hours a day because you can't sleep, uh, it's pretty easy to get to uh, sit there and watch TV. I finished uh, Iron Fist, uh, the Marvel um, Netflix, or, well, yeah, made for Netflix Marvel series about Danny Rand. And I started watching it um, when it first came out. And I think I only watched uh, maybe two or three episodes, and everybody online was bitching about it, saying it wasn't any good and everything. And I'm glad I went back and watched it because I really, I did actually enjoy it. 
and got a lot more into it instead of you know sitting there nitpicking and tearing it apart. <laughs> I'm not even going to uh, to uh, get uh, you know cut that out. And Rosario Dawson's in it, and her oh, she just looks so good. I love her. She's in almost all of those. She plays a nurse uh, in New York and uh, in all the Marvel Netflix shows. Um, her character kind of goes through all those uh, as like a side character, and I love her. <laughs> and I started watching, uh, this is a DC character. It's a new series. Um, I believe that one. Is it on the CW? Yes, it's uh, Black Lightning, and this is a pretty good series. I I never read uh, DC. I'm reading a lot more of it now, uh, so I wasn't familiar with this character. Uh, Cress Williams uh, plays Black Lightning, and um, I like the way that the show is done because um, he is a principal at a at a, um, at a high school. And they kind of the the story goes. I mean, you're he had been Black Lightning before, and helped clean up, you know, the the city that he lived in and all this stuff. And then once he had um, done that, well, then he he just kind of disappeared, and he nobody of course knew his alter ego and he started a family and had you know kids and stuff like that and you know they didn't need a superhero in that area or in that town or whatever and so he's you know more of a middle-aged man now and like i said when he's got a family and everything and um and shit starts to get you know rough as far as drugs and gangs and stuff like and and things like that go so you know you have uh, black lightning re-emerging i like it i i um i need to i'll probably either today or tonight um try and get caught up on that and uh from from the looks of you know all the other people in the gg mtv group and other people like so on sylvan gold group and everything uh uh, most people are digging it. Dig it. Yeah. Uh, movie that I have not seen in a long time. Uh, this is just one that um, when I was going through, like I said, uh, I was just looking at um, some of the stuff that I posted just to either as a conversation starter or, and a lot of times I'll post stuff on um, Silver and Gold almost as a reminder to me, hey, I, have, I, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. And I I want to I want to watch it again, and this one was uh, Cahill U.S. Marshal from 1973. It's an Andrew uh, McLaughlin uh, directed movie, and I believe he is the son of Victor McLaughlin, and he was also the director of The Wild Geese. Uh, this stars John Wayne and George Kennedy, uh, Gary Grimes, who was really big in the uh, early 70s as far as movies go. Um, I'm trying to think who I would compare him to. Um, I was going to say almost like a Jan Michael Vincent, the way Jan Michael Vincent was in the late mid to late 60s, early 70s. But he was in a lot of shit. Uh, Neville Brand is also in this. Uh, Denver Pyle. Jackie Coogan, uh, who was a little kid actor, but of course in this he's older. Uh, and then... Um, Harry Carey Jr. 
Hi, I'm Harry Carey. Hey, <laughs> that's Harry Carey Jr. or Harry Carey Senior. <clears throat> Harry Carey Jr. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Morgan Paul, who played. Um, that's one of the reasons this came up. Morgan Paul played Holden in the original Blade Runner, and I was looking him up, and um, I was suggesting on the Gilbert Gottfried group. Uh, that they find him and do an interview with him because he was in a lot of uh, cool movies. He was almost like a uh, Paul Coslow and uh, uh, Don Stroud and that kind of uh, guy that was in a lot of cool movies uh, but never played like the main guy. Uh, he was also in Patton. He played his... Um, um, I guess it was he was like Patton's aide aide-de-camp or whatever <laughs> but Morgan Paul was a really interesting character but we did find out you know that he had passed I think about five years ago he passed away which is a shame because like I said you know it'd be cool to hear him talk about uh working with John Wayne working with uh uh in Blade Runner and um and uh on Patton there's a lot of other movies that he was in uh that I think are really cool there's one that I want to watch and it, I need to uh look at his filmography and find it um, where he plays a bad cop and when I say, and he's the star of this one it's a low budget uh, early 70s movie and when I say bad cop I don't mean like um, Prince of the City or something like that um, he is he's a uh, plain cl- or not, uh, yeah I'm not plain clothes he's a, a, a uniform cop like that walks the beat Actually, kind of more in a small town, not like in New York or anything. Uh, but he's screwing like I don't know how many different women. Um, he's the kind of guy that uh, if they give him if they give him a little bit of money to look the other way and stuff like that. But I found it on YouTube, and I need to find it and watch it and review it on La Show. La Show. Anyway, let's move on. Gary Grimes. That's another one. Uh, I think he, uh, he. I'm trying to think what other movies that he was in, like Summer of. 42 and um, um, Gary Grimes but I always wondered what happened to him because he was in so much stuff um, in the early 70s it seemed like he I think okay summer of 42 was the movie that he uh, basically his first movie the one that he was discovered in um, he didn't work very much at all uh, well seems yeah filmography uh, Cole Pepper cattle company i think that was with lee marvin class of 44 which is a sequel to summer of 42 cahill u.s marshall the spikes gang or is that the lee marvin one spikes gang was lee marvin gary grimes charles martin smith ron howard okay that's the lee marvin one now the culpepper cattle company was gary grimes billy greenbush who played zipper in um electric glide and blue and that's a good one too. That one, um, that one's got like Gary Busey in it too, I think. Uh, Culpepper Cattle Company. We have okay, yeah. This is a colorful cast of characters because it was a lot of young guys uh, from that time period. Gary Grimes, Billy Greenbush, like I said, played Zipper in uh, um, Electric Eye and Blue. Luke Askew, who was in Cool Hand Luke and the Green Berets. Bo Hopkins, of course, we all know Bo Hopkins. Jeffrey Lewis, uh, that's Clint Eastwood's buddy. Uh, Juliet Lewis's dad. Uh, let's see who else we got here. Charles Martin Smith. I thought Busey was in that. Maybe he's not. Anyway, 
But that's a good uh, western I have not seen in a long time. Maybe you uh, need to take a look at that one and review it. A two. Um, Gus, that was the thing about the uh, f- the mule that uh, could kick field goals. <laughs> it starts Don Knotts, Ed Esner, uh, Gary Grimes, Tim, Con- Tim Conway, Ronnie Shell, Tom Bosley, and Dick Butkus. <laughs> That's a Disney film if I ever saw one. I saw that uh, when I was a little kid. I, I'm sure we saw it at the drive-in or in the theater. Uh, honest to God, even though um, that's like Super Dad with um, uh, what's his name that played uh, Colonel Hogan on uh, on uh, Hogan's Heroes. Uh, some of those old Disney movies or the computer tennis shoes or the world's greatest athlete or something like that. Uh, they're corny as hell, but I'd like to go back and watch them. I need to watch Gus. Let me to save this page so I can remember. Remember. There we go. And let's see. 1967. That's okay. This TV. Did he die young or something? Because the last thing he was in was Gus. And well, no, no, no. He was on TV. He was in Matt Houston in 1983. Once an Eagle. That was one of the first miniseries that ever came out, and that starred Sam Elliott. Uh, Owen Marshall, Counselor at Law. I believe that was Lee Majors was in that. My three sons. Let me let's see what happened to this dude. Uh, Grimes appeared in only six films and largely retired from show business in the late 70s, except for an episode of Matt Houston 1983. Still lives in Los Angeles. Uh, he's 62 now and has remained uh, out of pu- out of the public view since that time, working with charitable organizations. I got to the point where the work wasn't up to the quality I wanted. I guess that must have been... Uh, why Gus was his last movie. <laughs> and uh, I'm very happy with my decision. I, and I'm telling you, you know, for some of you who don't know who Gary Grimes was, <coughs> at one point he was like the it guy as far as young actors. After Summer of 42, um, he, his star was on the rise, and I guess I don't know what happened. Maybe they had Weinsteins and, uh, and um, Charlie Sheens and Brett Ratners and stuff like that back then. I don't know. It doesn't say that, but it's just funny that uh, and uh, you know, yeah, it's like the guy that played Jake in um, in uh, Sixteen Candles. You know, he was a pretty big star on the rise as far as young, good-looking guy. He was in Vision Quest and stuff like that, and he just stopped making movies. He was, you know, like, like Gary Grimes said, you know, wasn't fun anymore. wasn't getting good work. wasn't getting you know offered any good parts, and he decided to quit. And that's weird because you see so many of those people that just hang on for dear life, uh, uh, making shit, and uh, you know they can't give it up. Um, but anyway, Cahill U.S. Marshals one, uh, one of the John Wayne movies. Movies I want to go back and watch. Uh, uh, one of the main reasons is because of George Kennedy being in it, playing the heel. Uh, he also played uh, a heel in Sons of Katie Elder. This one uh, involves. Um, you know, of course, John Wayne is Cahill, U.S. Marshal, and uh, he has uh, uh, you know a couple of sons, um, uh, Gary Grimes, who's a teenager, and then a younger boy that's uh, like in grade school, and he's never around because he's always out hunting down these people, and they fall in, they do some stupid shit, and fall in with uh, some asshole criminals. Uh, which is uh, George Kennedy and uh, Morgan Paul is one of his people um, that's in his little band of uh, shitheads. Neville Brand plays a, a tracker, uh, an Indian or Native American that uh, Cahill uh, is sort of 
friends with that he has worked with in the past that helped track them down. But the dynamic uh, between the the sons who feel neglected and resentful to well, it's just mostly Gary Grimes because the little boy is so little that he you know so young that he doesn't really understand. He still loves his his dad, but uh, uh, Gary Grimes really has this grudge uh, 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 because of. Uh, uh, Cahill, you know, not being around and and he feels kind of neglected and resentful. So it's kind of a good d- dynamic. It's not a great great western or great movie, but uh, you know, even with all his faults and everything, I still like watching a John Wayne movie now and then. I grew up watching, uh, you know, he was one of my favorite actors when I was a kid. Uh, watched a documentary, which was on Netflix uh, called Blurred Lines Inside the Art World. This was directed by Barry Average and um, it says stars, but of course it's a documentary. Mariana um, Ab- Abramovic, uh, Catherine Arnold, and Amy Capalazzo. Uh, basically what this is talking about is um, how the art world, the speculation game, and how people hire agents, to pr- the artists, to promote them how they almost I don't want to say they rig auctions but they will hire people to bid up certain things and even buy certain pieces of a specific artist to get their name out oh my god so and so just bought this and they're buying their hiring somebody to buy their own painting so that they can say, oh, you know, my God, everyone at this auction, every one of his paintings sold. Uh, you know, it's like I said, I said, a speculation game and how people view art um, almost like um, <clears throat> Exit Through the Gift Shop, uh, which was about Banksy, and they um, had the guy that was making the documentary, and he decided that he wanted to make his own art and sell it and would hire like a team of people to actually create the art for him and then market it and sell stuff in the you know gift shop and all this stuff uh, and uh, how some people look at that as you know almost like a bastardization of of um, it's the 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 whole documentary is the blurring of you know capitalism and art and it's kind of gross, but um, and how all these really rich people uh, will buy works of art uh, as like an investment, or some of them just buy it and put it in a box and just, just say they have it. Don't even probably know they have it after a while because they have so much of it there that you know they just know it's almost like um, the uh, in Hannah and her sisters, Max von Sydow's character was an artist and. Uh, Michael Caine brings one of his clients to buy some art from Max von Sydow, and all the guy keeps saying is, "I got this big space. I need something to. I got. I got a lot of walls. I need something big, you know." And Max von Sydow's like, "I can't sell to this, you know, moron." You know, he's like, "You know, I just want something big. You know, get anything big? <laughs> I just need to cover space." Uh, anyway, I watched. Um, this is a new one. Uh, 2007. Well, it's 2018 now, but. 2017's Mark Felt, the man who brought down the White House. If you watched uh, All the President's Men, or if you are following 
anything that's going on in American politics right now, you need to watch this movie. Uh, the one thing I worried about with this, this stars Liam Neeson, and it's written and directed by Peter uh, Landsman, um, based on the book by Mark Felt. Uh, Mark Felt was Deep Throat. He was the second in command at the FBI uh, under J. Edgar Hoover, and then Hoover passed away. The one thing I worried about this movie was because I uh, have seen All the President's Men so many times uh, that it would be basically covering the same ground and uh, that I wouldn't enjoy it as much and it would be like, okay, I've already seen this. It's from a totally different point of view and it's a good movie. And like I said, um, with all the stuff that's going on in our country right now with Trump and... uh, corruption and cover-up and illegal stuff and da-da-da. This is a good movie to watch. Also stars um, Martin Koskis and uh, the guy that plays... Josh Lucas is in it. (laughs) Diane Lane. Uh, The guy that plays... um, Shit. Michael C. Hall. I was trying to think who it was. Uh, Tom Sizemore. It's got a nice cast. Noah Wiley's in it from ER. Or was he in? Yeah, ER, I think. Wasn't he in ER? <laughs> Fuck, I mean, I'm telling you, man. I, mean, I'm, I cannot remember shit. Um, anyway, um, this is a good movie. Liam Neeson's really good in it. And um, after watching it, uh, of course, I looked up, you know, the real Mark Felt and uh, kind of looked over his career and everything. It's interesting. Very interesting movie. He is the Hal Holbrook character in All the President's Men. Uh, we were talking uh, on the group about the movie Perfect, which was directed by James Bridges and starred John Travolta and Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, Mary Lou Henner from TV show Taxi, who is very hot in this. Uh, this is one of those movies that uh, came, out, it came out in 1985, and uh, when, when uh, like a lot of the fads, it's a fad movie, and at that time one of the fads was aerobics. Uh, you go to a gym. Uh, it, it, it has a lot to do with, uh, you know, gyms and uh, stuff like that. And um, but John Travolta plays a, I wouldn't say a Matt Taibbi kind of a, a Rolling Stone uh, um, journalist because Matt Taibbi covers. I don't think I, I'm not sure if he would cover a story like this. Uh, but he wants to cover the whole fitness craze in the United States. I haven't seen this in a long time. I'm going to go back and watch it because, first of all, Jamie Lee Curtis does look really good in this, and Mary Lou Hunter does too. You get to see John Travolta going and taking aerobics classes in these short shorts with a boner. <laughs> and um, there's almost like a... I shouldn't say a, a ridiculousness to it, but it reminds me... Uh, people can get really passionate about things like this. Uh, you know, went to, I dated a girl that was, uh, a cheerleader, like a state champion cheerleader in high school and everything. And, uh, and, uh, you know, if I offhandedly made a comment about, you know, cheerleading and, you know, and, and they did, they put a lot of time into it, a lot of hard work and stuff like that. And so I can see now how someone could be offended because even though it's something that seems, I shouldn't say trivial because I didn't mean it that way, but, you know, what are you going to do with that? 
Um, and you can say the same thing about sports. You know, these people that are so, you know, passionate about sports, uh, you know, high school and stuff like that, that they go and tell the the glory days, as Bruce Springsteen would say, stories about their their um, um, only their victories and glory in high school sports. I, that's what I always said. I always tell about sitting on the bench and how I fucked up and the coach yelled at me for looking at cheerleaders while in practice and not paying attention and shit like that. Whereas other people are like, man, yeah. Even even people that I know uh, now, you look at them. I don't didn't know them then. but And you're thinking, okay, this person, how come everybody that I meet and everybody that I know that's a dude was the greatest athlete at their high school won every championship and all the stuff and I'm like and I was even on my own team there were only a certain amount of guys that excelled or that were the starters and even all the the starters weren't that great and then you had people that weren't that good but that were there and practiced and went through all the stuff uh and out of those people how many of them went to college and and played sports or got a scholarship and none of the you know i think one guy went to college and he quit after one semester from our school and um he was the best guy on our team you know and of course none of them go you know the pros and make money or anything um so it's it's just kind of funny looking at it now but then to mock somebody who is passionate about what they do i don't know i don't know if i've ever been that passionate about like Jamie Lee Curtis is an aerobic instructor she's really into fitness and she takes it really seriously uh and I when I'm watching the movie I almost have to laugh but again you know I've never been that passionate about anything so uh or gotten into something that much that I'm like hey don't make fun of it you know (laughs) I don't know I still want to watch it because I know I'll laugh I'm just trying to be a nice guy (laughs) I watched 2017's The Snowman. Um, let me check my... I, I want to make sure I didn't just hit my mute button. Uh, I watched The Snowman from 2017, which is a Tomas Alfredson uh, movie written by Peter Strahan and Hossein Amini. stars Michael Fassbender, Rebecca Ferguson, Charlotte Gainsborough, which was a surprise. I did not know she was in this. I fondly remember her from... Uh, Nymphomaniac and not so finely from uh, that uh, Antichrist movie, which fucking cre- you know freaked me out. Um, Fassbender plays Harry Hole. <laughs> now I had to laugh anytime somebody said his name in this movie, and this is not a comedy. This I guess was based on uh, uh, I guess on a book, maybe. Um, and from what I understand, it's either based on a book or there were there was a another um, movie that uh, this was made from. Uh, maybe that was uh, from uh, Europe or wherever the fuck it was from. I, I see it's been a while since I watched this. I, I can't. I wanted to say Sweden, but it's not Sweden. Um, but anyway, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, let's see. An elite squad detective investigates the disappearance of a victim of the first snow every winter. Um, someone said, now with the cast and and uh, the story and everything, number one, this was just kind of meh. You know, it wasn't, I didn't think it was very good. Um, I think it lost a lot in the, um, uh, 
editing room. It seemed like it was really kind of hodgepodge thrown together. And from what other people have said, as far they said, you know, that the story was actually really good. I don't know if it was a bestseller or what. I can't remember. But um, the failure, the failure of this is one of those ones that it's not in the acting and it's not in the cinematography or anything like that. Um, and you know, it's hard to say whether it's the direct the directing because a director can make a movie and when they uh, the the editor and the studio gets a hold of it, they they chop it up and everything and you know fuck it up and they fucked this one up you know it, it was it was not very good and i wanted i love fastbender and i wanted it to be way better than what it was i expected it uh, when i saw the trailer i thought this is going to be really good but then i mean i never heard anything about it and it showed up on itunes i thought well fuck fastbender I, w- I wanted to see that but you know it gets it's it's got like a 5.1 on uh, imdb rating and um, it may have not even been that good, which is surprising. Like I said, with that cast and the people that were in it, I, I, I expected a lot more. Uh, it'll probably be one of those ones they'll come out and say, well, you know, we have a three-hour director's cut, and you'll get to see a lot of the stuff. It's edited differently, and you'll get to see a lot of stuff that ended up on the uh, cutting room floor, and, you know, maybe it'll be better. I, again, watched uh, Ghost in the Shell 2017, uh, uh, directed by Rupert Sanders, and uh, starring Scarlett Johansson uh, and uh, Takeshi Beat Takeshi Kitano. Um, I watched this again just because I love uh, Scarlett, number one. Uh, but uh, also, um, I wanted to just give it another chance because I saw this in the theater. I was so excited. Uh, and like I said, I love the uh, anime, the original anime. Um, pretty much thought the exact same thing this time as I did the first time I saw it, which, you know, we, I already reviewed it on the show. Um, I liked Takeshi Katano in this. Um, Scarlet looks good. Uh, she is too mechanical. <laughs> uh, she's really cute and, uh, she has a great, nice body and, uh, she does well in the action scenes and stuff like that, but she... Her mannerisms are too robotic. Um, I guess she threw that in there because she is supposed to be a basically have a robotic uh, body with her ghost in it. Uh, they you know, have her brain in it or whatever. Um, watch the anime. This this looks really good. It's got some gr- really cool special effects. I did not like Michael. Again, I'm repeating everything I had said before. I didn't did not like Michael Pitt's character in this at all. Um, but anyway, I wanted to watch it again, so I did. Dig it. Uh, let's go back and see what else is going on. Uh, sort of Gideon. I watched uh, Munich again with... Um, What's his face? The Incredible Hulk, <laughs> Eric Bana. Uh, I like that movie a lot. It also has uh, James Bond in it and uh, <laughs> Jeffrey Rush, and uh, there's a lot of people in it, and it's good. It's very violent. Uh, sort of Gideon was um, the first version of that movie. This was made in 1986, uh, and it stars Stephen Bauer, Michael York. Um, who else is in this? Uh, Rod Steiger, Colleen Dewhurst plays Golda Meir. 
I this was I think made for HBO, and I really liked it. I mean, I watched it uh, a bunch of times growing up. Uh, I want to go back and revisit this one. Um, so I kind of like I said, this is ba- uh, uh, based on the novel by George Yo- Jonas and Chris Bryant. And I want to go back and watch this one because I haven't seen it in so long. Uh, Stephen Bauer was really good in it. And, of course, Michael York also. But, uh, like I said, the catalyst of that, and that was kind of a, a, a reminder thing there, sort of Gideon, was because I watched 2005's Munich, and that was directed by Steven Spielberg. Um, I really like this one, again. Now that I have it up in front of me, I can comment on it a little bit better. Uh, Spielberg did a really good job, with the exception of, I think the ending was the part that I don't know if I should say it confused me as much as the scene where Eric Bana is uh, almost violently having sex with his wife after going through all this. Um, I just was like, what the fuck? Why, Why is this there it didn't need to be there and it didn't i don't know what he was going for i can speculate um but i just you know i don't think it was very that it it was like they made a really great movie and then they tacked on this fucking scene that was just kind of like what the fuck are you doing dude (laughs) i know it's like you know after going through all this like almost like a ptsd or how all living that life of hunting someone and all the pressure and being hunted and the stress and then living with killing people uh, and how it affects you and everything. Um, I I understand that and that showing that and him bringing that home, but it was really just kind of fucking jammed in there and I just didn't think it was that great. Eric Bana of course like I said Daniel Craig uh, Syrian Hines I just really like him. Uh, I feel bad for the guy because it seems like uh, Thor Ragnarok uh, was it Thor Ragnarok? No 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 the Wonder Woman movie. No 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 Justice League not what the fuck am I talking Justice League I see Syrian Hines, you know, saying, hey, man, that wasn't the movie that I was in, you know, <laughs> and talking about the uh, Justice League, how they, you know, they, they're going to, hopefully they're going to recut it and show the director's version or something. Uh, he was really disappointed in how his character of Steppenwolf, I think, was portrayed. Not, well, I mean, it was pretty much everything. His voice was there, but everything was CGI'd. I, I, you know, I, I didn't think that he, that that character, the CGI looked very good at all, and apparently he didn't either. Of course, again, like I said, Jeffrey Rush is in this. Uh, Michael Lonsdale was really good in this. Um, what was the other movie? Oh, he was in uh, Michael Lonsdale uh, was also in Ronan. Um, I was going to say he played a similar character, but it really was not. In Ronan, he was a guy who could kind of get things done that Jean Reno knew. Uh, in Munich, his character is almost like a 
almost like I, I, I saw his character almost like a uh, French Don Corleone, uh, sort of like a French mafia guy uh, who specialized in almost like a, an intelligence kind of a a thing where they bought and sold um, intelligence to any and everybody. He said, "We don't." We don't deal with politics. It doesn't matter who it is. Uh, if you want something, we'll get it for you. Uh, but don't bring politics into it. That will come back on us. Like, I will sell information to the PLO. I will sell information to... Um, he just said no governments. because He would sell information to anybody... But he didn't want to work with governments because it would come back on. Like, if he sold information to somebody and they ended up being, say, involved in the PLO, and then the Mossad comes and wants to kill him and his family, and they're really wealthy. Like I said, almost like his the, the house where they live is almost like the compound that the Corleones lived in. Very family. It was a family business. And I think he was kind of a maybe a French resistance. Um, guy in World War II who then parlayed that kind of activity, sort of a black market kind of activity into you know, a lot of uh, fortune and well did well for his family uh, like I said, Munich I, I think it's a really good movie um, it almost reminds me of um, I was talking about, I, I've been watching um, uh, the American Crime Story uh uh, miniseries, uh, uh, the assassination of Johnny Versace, uh, and has a lot, to, you know, of course, to do with uh, following Andrew Cunanan and on all the stuff that he did uh, leading up to and uh, after uh, the whole Johnny Versace murder. And I was telling somebody, my sister and I had been watching that, and of course, you know, like a lot of the other people on the GG MTV group which is the Gentleman's Guide to T- Television, TV um, group. Um, but my sister and I have been watching it, and the last, of course, I just watched the latest episode this morning, but um, the episode um, before that, we, you know, she was at her house, and I'm at mine, and we're on our iPads talking to each other while we're watching it, and we were talking about how brutal it is um, and disturbing. And uh, I commented that I almost felt like, you know, in a way, like I was watching almost like a a well-done snuff film. Uh, because back in the day, on TV and in a lot of movies, but specifically on TV, um, say you take, for example, the, um, um, I don't know if it was, was a Perfect Stranger, which was um, the movie about Ted Bundy um, with Mark Harmon. Um, you saw all this stuff happening. You saw how he acted in, in uh, amongst his friends and in the public. Uh, and then even when he would go out um, stalking or looking for prey, you know, women to kill or whatever, rape and kill, um, they wouldn't show the actual act. I think there was one scene where he, or Bundy, and that was toward the end of um, his crime spree, where he 
broke into these girls house uh, i'm going from memory here but uh he had like a piece of wood like from like a firewood or something like that and he bludgeoned one of the girls and they showed his face and they showed him raising that up over his head and like you know i'm sure mark Harmon was hitting a pillow or something a, a few times and they went to commercial or whatever um but you didn't see um the explicit horror and violence uh as you do you see it a lot more in this not all the time you don't see everything i mean they don't they don't uh it's not like uh, august underground or something like that where they just sit there and focus on it but they show enough of it and and you get the gist of how he's killing the people and what he's doing to them and and just the psychological uh, stuff is so disturbing um that is how I felt about this movie Munich because I did see, of course, you know, when all that happened in the Olympics and it was all over the news, this was like, uh, I think 1976. And I was, you know, I remember that. And, uh, on the news, you would see the, uh, the terrorists, uh, the one guy had like a kind of a fedora on and dark glasses. And he would come out on the balcony of this, uh, uh, the place where the athletes were staying. And then one guy had like a stalking, um, almost like a I think it was a ski mask and it just looks so creepy and so terrifying uh, there's a documentary about um, I can't remember what it's called uh, a documentary that was really well made a few years back about the Munich Olympics and the, the terrorism that took place there but uh, what I was saying about the, the comparing the uh, TV uh, movie with Mark Harmon about Ted Bundy and then the Gianni Versace movie or uh, miniseries now uh, that's how I felt about Munich because if you watch Sword of Gideon um, the violence of people getting killed whether it's the terrorist or whether it's um, when the terrorist went into the you know Olympic uh, compound and you know, killed and captured a bunch of the Israeli athletes. Um, you didn't see the 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 violence on that level. And when you watch Munich at the very beginning, uh, when they showed the terrorists going into the compound and they break out their guns and everything and and start forcing their way into these poor, you know, guys' uh, rooms. Um, the violence is very um, graphic, very graphic, and it's like, oh God! Uh, and that uh, again with the assassination of Gianni Versace or this movie Munich. Uh, number one, uh, at the time when uh, the Ted Bundy miniseries or the um, I don't know if it's a miniseries, I think it might have been a two-part movie. Um, or um, sort of Gideon, they didn't have the CGI where they could make the graphic uh, gore and, and, and you know to show the effects of the violence. Uh, you probably, if they did show something, it would be almost like in, a, in an action movie where they have squibs under the shirt and stuff like that. Um, I'm not 
talking against that with, uh, like, say, Munich or the assassination of John, Gianni Versace, um, it does add to it, and it is in your face. It's almost like uh, Saving Private Ryan as compared to, say, like, The Longest Day. That kind of graphic violence, you hope that it would or will not, if you see it so much in movies, that it won't desensitize people. But I think that if you are a normal person with normal empathy and compassion for other human beings, uh, I don't think you're going to get desensitized. But then again, I mean, my gosh, look at all the guys that go to war and that before they leave, if they would see something like that happen on the street, it would affect them for life. But when you see it every day, again, it's like chocolate cake for every meal every day. It just becomes like, okay, there's it. It's like the school shootings in America right now. It happens so often that you go through the stages of the outrage and the NRA gun people saying, you know, Guns kill people, or you know, guns don't kill people. People kill people, and blah 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 blah. Nothing happens. Uh, after all the people got killed in Las Vegas, you know, all those people, a huge number of them, you know, you think something would happen, and uh, well, even after when the guy, you know, Columbine, or when they, you know, was it Newtown and everything, they go in and start killing all these little little children. Nothing happens. Then this happens. Seventeen kids. The guy goes in and pulls a fire alarm and. When everybody comes out, he just starts shooting them, you know, 17 little kids, you know, looking at the pictures of them, they're, you know, 13, 14 years old, you know, 11 years old or whatever, you know, it's like, Jesus Christ. But, you know, it just becomes almost like an everyday thing. It's it's just like when they say, like in Israel, uh, the people over there, they say, well, how they live over there where, you know, rockets are getting shot into the, into Israel every day or even the people that live in you know the West Bank and the you know the Palestinians how do you deal with uh, the violence and everything uh, or even in other parts of the world where we have drones that circle during during uh, you know uh, daylight hours if the weather is clear the drones are just circling constantly and those people are living there and uh, you know they hear those drones and they're there all the time and they don't know you know from second to second if they're going to get killed because even if you're not a terrorist i mean you know it's called collateral damage you know that that drone does not have a laser sight on it that uh okay there's billy bob down there and we know he did this and that thing shoots a laser down pinpoint accuracy through his brain and doesn't go through and kill anybody else it's a it's a missile it goes down and anybody in the area is is killed i mean it's uh, like a bomb blowing up and even just targeting the people they use an algorithm a single you know <coughs> excuse me hones in on phones and they don't know who has the fucking phones and if the algorithm blah 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 but anyway you know people get used to it they get used to violence look at i hate to bring this up because you know i'm not don't want to insult anybody or anything but you know, in the movie community, people that watch um, horror movies constantly, any horror movie, every horror movie, and they'll admit to you that they almost get jaded because they said, they you know, like, nothing is scary anymore, you know, it's not like when you are a little kid and you've never seen a horror movie and the first time you watch The Exorcist, you're like, oh my god, and you're so fucking scared that you can't sleep. 
they, you know, if you watch that constantly, after a while, it's, you know, yeah, I guess you become desensitized. So anyway, eh, kind of going off on a, not a tangent, but um, it's it's an interesting topic, you know, whether it's movies or real violence, um, or, or, or mocked up fake movie violence. Does that make you become desensitized to... You know, real violence. I, I th- like I said, I think maybe a normal person it wouldn't, but if you're somebody who's a little bit cracked and a little bit screwed up, you know, maybe it does. I don't know. Uh, I found this movie, and um, I have not watched it, have not seen it, but I, again, this is a um, something sort of a reminder. Uh, I was looking up the Jamie Lee Curtis, for I think, for the um, uh, Perfect, or Stacy Keach. I was looking up Stacy Keach, and a James Keach movie came up. Um, and um, James Keach was in. I think he did. He played the cop that pulled over Clark Griswold in Vacation. I think maybe. And he was also in Long Riders with. Uh, he played Jesse James, and um, Stacy Keach played Frank James. Um, but this is uh, Jamie Lee Curtis um, st- starring movie. Uh, for 1983, she was again pretty big after Halloween and you know Perfect, and then this movie and uh, Road Games with uh, Stacy Keach. I think that I think somehow I because I was looking her up as far as Perfect goes, and then I somebody posted something about Road Games. I put in something about that, and I got James Keach and Jamie Lee Curtis. This movie is from 1983 called Love Letters, uh, written and directed by Amy Holden Jones. Now, one of the reasons I I saved this and I wanted to watch it, it's it's you know, I don't think I have ever heard of this. It has a pretty average review, a 6.1 on IMDb. But if you look up under Google Image Search, Love Letters, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, and this is produced by Roger Corman. <laughs> but there are a lot of. It seems like there is a lot of fucking in this movie and a lot of nudity with Jamie Lee Curtis and James Keach having sex. So, I'm all down for that. Story of love and obsession. A young radio personality who, after her mother dies, discovers she has been having a love affair for 15 years. Now she finds herself recreating her mother's blah blah. Um, Like I said, this probably will be a turd, but I want to watch it. Uh, Who else is in this? Jamie Lee Curtis... James Keach, Amy Madigan. This must have been an earlier earlier one for her. Uh, Sally Kirkland. Okay, well, let's see. Uh, okay. I wonder what's going on with this Jamie Lee Curtis. Like I said, I think I want to watch this. I'm sure it'll be a piece of shit. Uh, the handling of the central of the central sexual relationship avoids cliche and exploitation. Well, I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> but moving on from that, I, like I said, I kept that on there just so I could uh, kind of remember it and look it up somewhere, try and find it. Uh, next thing I watched uh, was on, I believe, Netflix, 1987's Less Than Zero. And this is a Brett Easton Ellis, uh, based on a novel by Brett Easton Ellis. I think they, maybe this was his first one. Uh, starring Andrew McCarthy, Jamie Gertz, and Robbie Downey Jr., now, and James Spader. Can't forget Spader. 
this movie, the people in this movie annoyed me so much. And I guess maybe they're it was they're supposed to, because they really are a bunch of pieces of shit, uh, <laughs> a bunch of super uber rich kids in uh, Los Angeles doing drugs, being fucking narcissistic fucking assholes. This was Robert Downey Jr. in his full uh, addiction and decline as far as that decl- I'm, I'm, again you know whether it's the wrestler Jake the Snake Roberts Scott Hall anybody that struggles with addiction as for as long and as bad as these people do you I'm uh, it's great to see them I shouldn't say conquer their demons because those demons are always there but uh, definitely staying on the right path Robert Downey Jr. really has seems like he has turned it around I hope that he never goes back to that these days Andrew McCarthy has always been annoying to me Robert Downey Jr. is very annoying in this Uh, Jamie Gertz is very annoying in this Um, this is one that I went after of course Brett Easton Ellis um, American Psycho um Oh, God, what's the other one that had uh, Vanderbeek and uh, Jessica Biel and all those people in it? I cannot remember the name of it. Um, I think that I would like, number one, I would like to go, I would like to read this book. Because from what I have read about the book, I'm pretty sure that I will like it more than the movie even though it's the same characters and they are supposed to be fuckhead, asshole, unlikable pieces of shit. Uh, And then there was supposed to be a follow-up to this where they... and I know I do that all the time, sorry. Uh, But I don't know what that is. Maybe I'm part snake like Thulsa Doom. Um... I don't know if he ever put that book out that was a sequel to this where they are middle age. Uh, but I like that Brett Easton Ellis's characters, at least some of them, run through his different books. You will, like like I said, the one with Vanderbeek, I believe that is the brother of... Um, not Paul Allen. <laughs> Christian Bale's character in American Psycho, but you also, like I said, from what I have read about these characters, and there were some characters that they condensed in this, from the book to this movie, they would take a couple of characters and just make one character out of them and stuff like that. Um, But I want to go and read that book and, again, follow uh, some of those characters that end up in the other books. Maybe I want to read more than one of them. Maybe I want to read all of them. I don't know. I'm reading so much shit right now. I have uh, graphic novels, comic books. I have I don't know how many wrestling books and books I got for Christmas from my sister uh, and books that I have bought. From now on, um, I am not buying any more books. I look here right now. I'm looking in you know the other room and there's one, two, three, four, five, six... Eight. There's nine books sitting in there piled up, and I have not read. I think I have read like a few chapters in each one or something. 
But I would like to, all the books that I have in my house right now, instead of buying more books, <laughs> actually fucking get into it and start reading some of these and, uh, you know, what do you call it? Um, I always say after I read or watch a movie or something, that one's in the books. But that doesn't kind of work for when you're talking about uh, uh, books. Anyway, Jamie Gertz is annoying in this fucking movie. Did I say that already? Uh, I'm going to turn around and I uh, finished uh, The Punisher, Netflix uh, series with John Bernthal. I watched every episode of this but the last one. And then I didn't watch the last one for like a couple of months for some reason. I think I got the 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 episode before the last one annoyed me quite a bit. Uh, you had the uh, you know the bad boss guy, and he was a real piece of shit. And um, Frank Castle dealing with him went on for so long, like the whole fucking episode, it just went on and on and on and on and on. This you know killing each other or trying to kill each other and you know uh, torture and all this shit and it was just like Jesus fucking Christ wrap it up kill the motherfucker that I did not watch the last episode and the last episode is him dealing with the big boss's henchman who really is the main bad guy this had some sex in it the whole show mostly between the female cop and said what's his name Ben Barnes as Billy Russo. Um, that's one thing about these Marvel um, Netflix shows. You will get some sex in them and some nudity. And uh, But Ben Barnes was very good as the asshole. I hated him. Uh, <laughs> and Bernthal was good. I, I'm curious to see where they go with this. And uh, I was surprised that he didn't, the Punisher did not show up in some way or another in showed up first in Daredevil and, uh, but I thought maybe he would make an appearance in Defenders spoiler alert, whatever uh, Wanted Dead or Alive from 1987 that's the uh, Rutger Hauer movie which is kind of a uh, an homage, a modern homage to uh, Steve McQueen in Wanted Dead or Alive where he played Josh Randall uh, I believe that Rutger Hauer is the great-grandson of Josh Randall in this. He is a bounty hunter. And uh, this was Rutger Hauer in his real big time in the United States uh, phase after uh, Blade Runner and um, Nighthawks. He was making a lot of movies um, and got, getting a lot of roles. This one isn't that great, but it's kind of like one of those It's So GGTMC movies. Rugger Hauer looks great in it. Uh, you have Gene Simmons, Robert Guillaume, and uh, William Russ, who played Roger LaCoco on um, Wise Guy. I liked it, but I wanted it to be way better when it came out. I saw it in the theater, and I was like, yeah, man, it's going to be so cool. I love that guy from uh, Blade Runner, and I want to see him in something, and this was kind of a... Uh, mid-level actioner. Uh, it's it's fun, but it's not that great. Dig it. But if you watch it with the right mindset, you'll have a good time. Because who doesn't love Gene Simmons? Again, when I was sick, uh, Comes a Horseman was on, uh, from 1978, was on this. 
And this was uh, directed by Alan J. Pakula, who made a lot of paranoid movies in the 70s. And it stars James Caan, Jane Fonda, and Jason Robards, and Robert, or I'm sorry, I just want to say Robert Foxworth, but it is Richard Farnsworth. And uh, for Loaf, there was Jim Davis, who played Jock Ewing on Dallas, which Loaf is watching the shit out of. Mark Harmon, who I had spoken about recently, or just here a few minutes ago, uh, who played Ted Bundy. And again, James Keach, who was in that movie with Jamie Lee Curtis and having sex with her. Plus, he played Jesse James in The Long Riders. And chastised Clark Griswold for doing something, whatever. I don't know, tied the dog to the bumper or something. Um, Jane Fonda just looks great in this. Um, she plays a cattle woman, uh, rancher, and no makeup, just is beautiful. Uh, I can't remember who it was in the group said that every time they look at her, they see Henry Fonda. I do not concur. And uh, I don't care what she did during the Vietnam War. I find Jane Fonda to be beautiful and talented. Jason Robards is a menacing motherfucker in this. Um, he, I, I've talked about this movie before on the show, but he is great in this. I love the way it's shot. I wish that this movie would have done better when it came out. James Caan is really good in it too. There's a lot of chemistry between him and Jane Fonda. I love the scenery. I really like this movie. Um, I'll watch it again. I watched uh, some Burt Lancaster while I was sick. They had a, a, a few different movies on back-to-back. This one is 1955's The Kentuckian. Directed by Burt Lancaster. I did not know that while I was watching it. Uh, writers are A.B. Guthrie Jr. did the screenplay, and the novel was by Felix Holt. Stars Burt Lancaster, Diane Lynn, Diane Foster. It also has Walter Matthau in it. And uh, I think, for some reason, I was wanting to say John Carradine. But yes, John Carradine. There he is. Um, this is pretty good. Now, of course, it's a 1955 movie, so some of it comes off kind of cheesy. Uh, but I enjoy it. Uh, if you keep in mind, you know, when it was made and everything and, uh, the types of movies that came out at that time, uh, it's got a good story. I like Lancaster. He's of course, you know, an athletic motherfucker. Walter Matthau's a piece of shit in this. <laughs> uh, uh, Bert is, he kind of is like one of those Daniel Boone, uh, Davy Crockett kind of guys, like a, a trapper. He wears, um, you know, all buckskin, and him and his little boy uh, and their dog are are hunters. That's what they do for a trade. They kill, you know, like fox and stuff like that and uh, sell the pelts. Uh, and, you know, they hunt for their food and all that. And this is back in the musket days. And um, he is going to, I think, Texas uh, from Kentucky, and there are some assholes that are after him from shit, uh, family feud, almost like a Hatfields and McCoys thing that took place back in his home uh, land, home to area. And uh, his brother uh, is sort of a businessman that lives in, in this uh, area that uh, he kind of migrates to, uh, town, and he's not like a towny kind of guy, like uh, somebody he, you know, like said him and his son live out in the woods, and so it's kind of a fish out of water thing, but it's it's good. I enjoyed it. I 
you know, I like watching these, you know, older movies like that from the 40s and 50s. Like I said, some of them can, can kind of have some cornballish stuff. Uh, usually it, it's not until you get into the 60s where you start getting the getting away from that. Uh, but uh, a good story is a good story. Fuck it. <laughs> 1968's The Scalp Hunters. Uh, this was directed by Sidney Pollock and written by William M. Norton. Uh, starring Burt Lancaster, Shelley Winters, Telly Savalas, uh, Ossie Davis, uh, Dabney Coleman. Who else is in this motherfucker? Nick Cravat, of course, because that's Burt's buddy from when they were kids and when they worked in like the circus and shit. Um, this is a really good one. I'm thinking, I can't remember if we reviewed this on the show or if we just talked about it, I talked about it, or whatever. Um, great movie all the way around. has a lot uh, of uh, um, themes about racism. And uh, that's one of the things that makes it, like I said, it's 1968, so um, that makes it more than just a two-fisted Western. Uh, the way that Native Americans are treated and of course the way that Ossie Davis is treated and how he um, how strong he is he plays the fool sometimes he's very intelligent he plays the fool uh, and he doesn't fight back uh, which is to some of the people, maybe even people watching the movie, but definitely the people in the in the movie um, see it as a weakness, but it's not a weakness because he is stronger for not fighting back and knowing when and where to fight or not fight, and and he and him he manipulates some of these uh, baddies. Um, it's it's a good movie and. And even the hero, uh, which is the all-American hero, you know, of course, Burt Lancaster with the big teeth and, uh, you know, how athletic he was and what a great actor. And I guess I've always said how, how he takes such interesting parts. Um, even he is flawed and racist to the Native Americans, racist to um, Joseph Lee, who is Ossie Davis. Uh, Telly Savalas is always good as a baddie. He's really good in this. Shelley Winters is is excellent in this as his mall. I guess you would call her his mall if they had those back in the um, in the um, what's this like would be like the I guess eighteen hundreds. Dan Vadis. There was a guy in this, and it's probably him. This Dan Vadis. That I swear to God, I thought he was. Um, oh, what's that motherfucker's name? God damn it! Um, shit. Now I'm trying. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, uh, blast. Again, I, I, George Eastman. I swear to God, I thought this dude in this fucking movie was George Eastman, but I think it's this Dan Vidas. Um, Dan. God damn it. I can't even type. Maybe I am going crazy. Oh, mother freaker. Dan VT Vadis. Maybe I spelled it wrong. (laughs) 
Vadis. I did spell it wrong. I put, I put Vidas. Okay, Dan Vidas uh, was born Constantine Daniel Vafiadis in Shanghai. Well, he definitely ain't fucking uh, Asian. Uh, like I said, he looks like George Eastman, the big motherfucker. Um, oh, he died when he was 49. Uh, so he only died, he died pretty young. Um, what else was he in? Colossus of the Arena, Rebel Gladiators, Pirates of the Mississippi, Ten Gladiators. He's in a lot of Gladiator movies. Hercules the Invincible. What else? What was he in here that I fucking know? <laughs> Any which way you can. He played Frank of the Black Widows. Yes! Yes! Okay. <laughs> he was in Bronco Billy. <coughs> Clint must know him. He was in Any Which Way You Can, Every Which Way You But Lose. Of course, he was one of the Black Widows. He was in Bronco Billy. He was in The Gauntlet. Uh, he was in The White Buffalo, which was uh, Charles Bronson. He was in KL U.S. Marshal, High Plains Drifter, um, Scalp Hunters, uh, The Stranger Returns. Oh, for a few dollars more. Or no, what's this? For a few extra dollars. What the fuck is that? <laughs> for a few extra dollars. That stars Montgomery Wood, Dan Vadis. Jose Calvo. I'm not going to go through all these Italian names. That was directed by Calvin J. Paget. What's that about? Confederate Major Sanders continues fighting the North after the conclusion of the Civil War. Of course, uh, oh, uh, Giuliano, uh, Giuliano Gemma is the is the star in this. How come he's not on that list of the uh, starring? He's the main dude. Fucking Giuliano Gemma's the main dude. Also known as Fort Yuma Gold and Die Now Pay Later. That is for a few extra dollars. Which definitely has got to be a ripoff of uh, for a few dollars more. Uh, the Sucker. What the fuck's The Sucker? <laughs> I think I saw that movie the other day. It was like ten minutes long. <laughs> uh, that was directed by Gerard Auray. and doesn't have a synopsis that's short enough for me to read. Dig it. Anyway, now I learned something. I learned something about Dan Vadis. Uh, again, in this movie, he's really big. Now, I think in some of the other ones, uh, when he gets older in... Um, how'd that motherfucker die? <laughs> I forgot to look that up. Uh, he died uh, June 1987 in Lancaster, California. Lancaster. In, uh, in a car in the desert. His death was declared an accidental drug overdose with acute ethanol and heroin morphine intoxication. He was survived by his wife Sharon Jessup and their son Nick Vadis, known as Nick V. Hmm. Yeah, he was in a lot of Clint movies. He must have been in the uh, Clint, um, like Clint's troop. Uh, what made Vadis stand out uh, from other athletes and bodybuilders? In these, uh, see, that's what I'm saying. In, uh, in, um, scalp hunters he looked really big like george eastman but then when you see him in uh, a lot of those clint eastwood movies he does not seem that imposing so i guess he was a bodybuilder uh you know weightlifter bodybuilder and then you know well from you know heroin and morphine intoxication i guess he must have became a uh, drug addict or on drugs and that can really definitely fuck you up um but like i said that's kind of one of the cool things about um about the show and the group and everything. I, I've seen that guy a bunch of times and I never looked up his name to know who he was. Dan Vadis. This is the Dan Vadis episode. 
Uh, I watched and the band and the band played on uh, from 1993, directed by Roger Spotswood, uh, written by Randy Schultz. Uh, this has a lot of people in it. Of course, the uh, star is Matthew Modine, uh, Alan Alda. Uh, you have Phil Collins in this, Bud Court, uh, Richard Gere, uh, Angelica Houston, Lily Tomlin. There is a lot of people in this. Uh, this is a movie, one of the first uh, movies. I think this was a made-for-HBO movie, I believe. And it is one of the first movies to deal with uh, the AIDS epidemic and how... Of course, I, I know the... Like I said, I had said before on the show, my sister and I watched Longtime Companion on um, PBS. Well, what year was that? I'm trying to think of other movies that dealt with um, AIDS. That was... 19, Longtime Companion might have been the first one that I saw uh, that dealt openly with uh, homosexual community and with uh, AIDS, and that was 1989. And the band played on uh, was an important movie, and I think that's why they got so many people, uh, so many famous people in the cast. Um, And it's really good, and it shows how uh, it shows the I don't want to say like the genesis of the virus the HIV virus and AIDS and how during the Reagan administration you know they couldn't get funding for anything and you know the you know just say no with drugs and they took a the that whole administration took a really um they were definitely anti uh gay and, you know, even despite themselves, um, because an epidemic, like I was talking about this flu or a bird flu or a pandemic or an epidemic or something like that, um, it does not, that's one thing Ralph Nader was saying with the, with these flu vaccines and how why we need to stock up on them now, look for and create new vaccines and stock up on them now. Because once the epidemic or the pandemic or whatever hits, it's too late. And then you're having to scramble, especially when these drugs are being made in other countries. And we need to make them here in the U.S. Again, no uh, disrespect to anybody from other countries. It's just where I live, you know, when when I'm saying this. Uh, So we can be ready. And the one thing that he said was, you know, whether it's the Trump administration, the Obama administration, whoever... Um, uh, the reason I say Trump is because he's in office right now and he's cutting funding to everything, including like research and stuff like this, uh, that um, the flu, as I said before, during the war, wars, World War One, World War Two, whatever, does not discriminate. It doesn't care if you're a one percenter. It doesn't care if you're rich. It doesn't care if you're the president. It doesn't care who you are. Uh, so even for his own good and for the good of his family or whatever, because some people uh, in certain political parties seem like they can't um, empathize with anybody unless it directly affects them or their direct circle of family or friends. Mostly just family, because whatever. Anyway, this is a good movie. It's very uh, educational. 
you see all the stuff that they go through and um, the struggle, the how people, number one, were not only scared, but frustrated and pissed off that nothing was being done or they felt like uh, nobody was listening to them and some people thought it was a hoax or maybe that it was something that the government was doing to they didn't care because they wanted to kill off people in the LGBT community and all this and that. Um, very good movie. This is on, and and the band played on, is on YouTube for free. I uh, watched a movie, I don't know why. It's called Retrib- Retrib- Retribution Road from 2007, a.k.a. Blue Eyes, uh, directed by Chuck Walker, written and directed by Chuck Walker, starring Michael Gregory, John Castellanos, Leslie Eastbrook. This is a very low budget uh, estimated budget was 570,000 low budget western it was sucked it was piece of shit um, I stuck with it and watched the whole thing there's nobody in it that you will know it's not done very well and it's uh, just your uh, by, by the book uh, high noon ripoff um, the bad guys are coming to town the sheriff is no one wants to help him He's got one of the bad guys' brother in in jail, and uh, there's some um, I shouldn't say interesting, but some family stuff going on there. Whatever. Uh, It's not very good at all. Don't watch it. It's on Netflix. Uh, The Man Who Would Be Polka King from 2009. This is a documentary uh, about Jan Jan Levan or Jan Lewin. This is a documentary by Josh Brown, uh, Joshua Brown, uh, written and directed by him. Um, if number one, watch the Jack Black movie about this. I can't remember what it's called though. It's on Netflix. It's made for Netflix. He plays uh, Jan Levon, and he does such a good job. And then after I watched that movie, it's not just a straight up comedy. It's funny, but it's got. It's like a, a crime um, movie. It's funny, but it's sad. But it also has you know a lot of drama in it. And then once you watch that, you want to watch this documentary about the real Jan Levon or Jan Lewin. <laughs> I liked it, man. I'm gonna go back. I'm honest to God, would watch both of them again right now after I get off here. Jan Levon, the Volca King of Pennsylvania. And he lives right up there by Justin Oberholzer, the Cinemasochist, who does Suplex Multiplex podcast right now. I asked Justin about that. Justin's, uh, oh, I don't know how old Justin is now, but he's younger, and so he he said, I think he said he may have heard about it, but you know, this this was definitely before his time, Jan Levon. <laughs> that fucking cracks me up. <laughs> you mean Jan Lewin? I've been watching Arrow, which is uh, the CW uh, series about uh, the Green Arrow, Oliver Queen. Uh, Again, I'm still just on the first season of that, but enjoying it. I like it. I like the flashbacks and all that. I like um, Deathstroke and uh, all the people that they're bringing on there. Um, 
again, all these DC ones kind of run to get or, uh, the the people in them. You'll see them cross over to Legends of Tomorrow or Flash or the different ones that are on there. Supergirl, who I love. <laughs> I'm so stupid. I love Supergirl. She's so cute. Uh, what's the good, the bad, and the ugly from 1966? Il Biono, Il Bruto, Il Cattivo. <laughs> yes. Sergio Leone. Better have a drink after that one. And uh, Luciano Vizanzoni, um, starring Clint Eastwood, Eli Wallach, and Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef. Um, Luigi Pistilli. He plays uh, what's his name? Tuco's brother. You are my brother. <laughs> yes. This is a good movie. Fucking watch it a million times. Uh, my friend Greg has watched it a million times, definitely, because he only has five DVDs, and he watches the same. Well, I know he's got ten. He's got five that are good and five that are the worst movies you've ever seen, which he still watches over and over and over. Uh, good, the Bad, and the Ugly is awesome. And Greg cannot whistle on tune or sing on tune. So when you hear the... Ah, wah, 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 he even whistles that, and it is... Cringeworthy. It is so bad. He's tone deaf. Uh, uh, mm. Been watching Longmire TV series, uh, which I believe it's on Netflix now. Was that on Stars? I don't know what channel that was on. Anyway, Longmire uh, it has a connection to a movie, and it also has a connection to another series. Well, probably more than one. First of all, Lou Diamond Phillips is in it. He plays uh, Walt Longmire's, uh, probably his best friend. Um, the movie takes place in Wyoming, and uh, of course, uh, uh, the the reservation, uh, Native American reservation, is right there. And so you have a lot of stuff that deals with Native Americans. Uh... <laughs> Lou Diamond Phillips owns a bar in the area, and uh, Walt goes there and uh, to get some info. And uh, and again, Lou Diamond knows Walt and knows all his ins and outs and looks after him. Uh, Walt Longmire is played by Robert Taylor, who played one of the agents in the Matrix movies, the first Matrix movie. Uh, he does not play... Um, the main guy, of course, the main bad guy, but he's the kind of sort of like a reddish hair. Uh, and then, because I kept watching this, I was like, wait, no, this guy that plays Walt Longmire is pretty good. I, I like it. An actor. He's very, uh, has a lot of charisma. He's an older, uh, like middle age kind of uh, starting to break down a little bit physically, but he's a you know, two fisted guy, you know, pretty smart guy. Um, and I kept thinking, who the fuck is this guy? Well, number one, he's Australian, and you would never know it watching this show. But then I asked somebody, I said, who the fuck is this Robert Taylor? What else have I seen him in? Because he's an, uh, like a middle-aged guy, and um, um, I'm sure he didn't just appear out of nowhere. And um, let's see how old he is, Well, he's 54. Well, hell, shit. What am I talking about him being old? He's almost close to my age. <laughs> he's only two years older than me. Again, like I said, broken down and middle-aged. 
Uh, and then you have uh, Katie Sackoff, who plays Starbuck on the new, well, the new Battlestar Galactica, which I need to get back to watching that. When I got that, somebody got that for me, and I cannot remember who the fuck it was, but they got me the Blu-ray. And um, so I'm limited. I have to watch it at home. Dig it. Still, anyway, I like that show. I need to. I I was watching that pretty regularly, and I need to get back to it because only on. I think I just started the second season, just like Longmire here. I I just started the second season of it. I like the guy that plays Branch in this. I'm trying to see what his name was. Ferg is just kind of the fat sidekick kind of guy. Uh, where's he at? He probably won't be on this page, of course. Motherfucker, IMDb. Let's see. And of course, as I bring that up, uh, a fucking spoiler. This show's been on for, I think, like seven seasons. And all I did was type in this guy's name and a fucking goddamn spoiler came up. That's probably, fuck, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, 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 five seasons away from where I'm at. And now I know something that happened. Cocksucker. What's his, who's this guy? What's his name in real life? Motherfucker, how hard is it to find the fucking guy's name? I hate this fucking podcast. <laughs> oh, whatever. Who cares what his name is? Fuck him. Branch. There's Branch. Now, there's Katie. Branch Conley. Okay, Bailey Chase. What the hell else was that son of a bitch in? <laughs> okay. He has been in Superman vs. Batman, Python Team Leader, Superman vs. Batman, Dawn of Justice. Is that? That's not the goddamn... Yeah, it is. That's that fucking movie. Python Team Leader? What the kind of shit's that? Cadence? He was in Cadence? I never heard of that. The Chaplain, The Boy Next Door. Oh, that's a goddamn Jennifer Lopez fucking movie. <laughs> okay, let's see what else he was in here. Uh, Jesus Christ, no, man, no wonder he's on TV, because he ain't in nothing that's worth a shit. Um, didn't do very much in the fucking uh, movie department. Okay, he, Okay, he's on that show 6, which I watched, about the SEAL team. Twin Peaks, he plays Detective Don Harrison. He was in 24. Grim Lucifer, he plays Gray Cooper. Uh, Longmire, of course, which is what I'm talking about. White Collar, he's been in a shitload of TV shows. Ugly Betty. <laughs> what else is this motherfucker in? God damn it, I know I've seen it. So he's in Charmed. Played Alec and Charmed, which I love that show. Even though I usually watch it with no sound. I love, uh, what's her face? What's that fucker girl's name? <laughs> what's her name? Alyssa Milano. God, Alyssa Milano was good looking when she was young. But weren't we all? I started watching Frontier with Jason Momoa. Um, I'm only like two episodes in. I'm not really sold on it, but since I started it, I feel like, you know, well, why not keep watching it? Uh, so far it's kind of underwhelming takes place uh, during, I think, the 1700s, and uh, maybe, I don't know if it's 1700s or early 1800s, uh, Momoa, 
is part uh, Native American and part Irish. And uh, he's like a trapper guy. He has like a clan, and there's bad. They're kind of badasses. And um, you know, you got the British and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Somebody said something the other day about they didn't think Jason Momoa was a very good actor. And uh, like I said, he's got a great look. I don't think he's a very good actor either. He's passable. He's he's all right. Uh, one movie that I watched, and uh, let's see how what we're doing on time here. We are about two hours in, so I'm going to be wrapping it up here shortly. This is one that I definitely wanted to cover because I watched it and enjoyed the fuck out of it. 1976 is The Gumball Rally. This is uh, directed by Charles Ball, or Chuck Ball, written by Leon Capentanos. And the story was by Chuck Ball, or Charles Ball. <laughs> Michael Sarazen is the star of this. That's one of the reasons I wanted to watch it, because I love Michael Sarazen. Um, and Raul Julia is in this. He has a pretty funny role in it. This is the grandfather of all like the Cannonball Run movies and... Um, oh, like uh, that, that uh, Cannonball movie with um, David Carradine. The cross-country race kind of a deal. Uh, which actually, after this movie, turned into a real race, the Cannonball Rally. Uh, that uh, Cannonball Rally, Gumball Rally. I'm sorry. Uh, and then Burt Reynolds kind of. If you, if you watch this movie, which was made in uh, 1976, when was? Let's see here. La 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 la. Um, this was made in 1976 and I remember when I was a kid and it came out and it was uh, you know a, a big, everybody was like oh man you see that movie Arr, lots of stunts in it and shit car chases and everything and it's funny and then you watch Cannonball Run with Burt Reynolds which was made in 1981 there's a lot of similarities uh, <laughs> I'm talking a lot of similarities um, so you know that's all right because they're they're both fun. But I actually, honest to God, watching this one, I like this one more than I like uh, the Burt Reynolds one because Burt started getting into where everything was so tongue in cheek, wink wink at the camera, and um, I like this one. I, I like Michael Sarazen, and uh, of course, like I said, Raul Julia is in this. But even this is a movie where you're watching it and you're like, now who the fuck is that guy? Who's this guy? Because you, you you see people in this and you think okay well and, and another face that you'll know uh that's in this is Gary Busey but for the most part everybody in this is was unknown to me uh but i enjoy the hell out of it number 1 all the cars are and and because it takes place in the 70s it's not just like like I said, like Cannonball Run, it's not just silly uh, fun, but it's fun. Uh, and um, I just like it. I I, I bought it, uh, the digital download, I think on iTunes. And uh, this is one that I would watch. And again, this is makes me want to find as much Michael Sarazen as I can. I've talked about it before where, I, you know, I get in one of these moods, whether it's Dennis Hopper, Marlon Brando, um, you know, Charles Bronson, whoever it is, and you and you just get in a thing where you want to look up all their stuff, 
and uh, Joe Don Baker at one time, and you know, different people like that. And I want to find, you know, for, for the most part, Michael Sarazen to me is Gumball Rally, uh, sometimes a great notion with uh, uh, Paul Newman and Henry Fonda and Lee Remick and um, Richard Jekyll, and then uh, that uh, uh, made for TV Frankenstein movie, Frankenstein the True Story. Uh, he was also in Reincarnation of Peter Proud. Uh, and the Pickpocket movie with Coburn. I love that one, too. So I really like Michael Sarah's, and I want to find some more stuff about him, or, or, or with him in it, uh, that I have not seen. Go here. Let's see. I don't need to talk about True Lies too much. 1994's True Lies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Jamie, another Jamie Lee Curtis uh, movie where she showed that she still had it. Tom Arnold is fucking funnier than shit, and Bill Paxton is in this. Uh, Elijah Dushku is in this. I think this was before she was old enough to say, you know, hey, Elijah Dushku. Wow. Um, she's not really my type that much. My friend Gary is, that's his uh, perfect woman, I think. Uh, and Charles Charlton Heston, who looks like Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., with a patch on his eye. Uh, watched uh, The Russia House, 1990, on this, uh, directed by Fred Shapizzi. It's based on the novel by Jean Lacarre, uh, starring uh, Sean Connery, Michelle Pfeiffer, Roy Scheider, uh, Klaus Maria Brandau, uh, Ken Russell, J.T. Walsh, John Mahoney, who just recently passed away, I think like last week, uh, James Fox. This should have been better. I had the book on cassette, and I listened to it I don't know how many different times, and it's the book on cassette. <laughs> was superior to this movie and I remember when it, this movie came out and it kind of flopped uh, it was the first I think uh, western movie shot in Russia after the Soviet Union fell I believe um, it's good if you're a Connery completist and definitely like I said Roy Scheider's in this and uh, uh, some of the other fellas but um, they they kind of fucked it up. It's not as like I said. It's just not as good as the book, which you could say that about a lot of you know movies. Um, anyway, I still watch it every once in a while, even though it's not that great. I need to find my cassettes. <laughs> Barley Blair, hey Barley. Blair. Uh, funeral with uh, Christopher Walken, Chris Penn, Annabella Sciaro, who was beautiful. Uh, Vincent Gallo. Benicio Del Toro, who was really young in this, Gretchen Maul, also had, uh, what's her name, that chick that uh, was a model, and then she was on uh, Celebrity Rehab and admitted that she had done prostitution. This is an Abel Ferrara movie. What was her? Amber Smith. Amber Smith was gorgeous. I mean, stunningly gorgeous. She was in this, and she was in... Um, The Russell Crowe movie with Kevin Spacey and Guy Pierce. What the fuck was that movie called? <laughs> God damn. Um, motherfucker. I'm so stupid. I wish I was not so stupid. Guy Pierce. And everybody that's listening right now is screaming, you moron. It's... Oh, I still can't. In fact, it got it off the tip of my tongue. 
Oh, goddamn LA Confidential, of course. Now, I'm not going to say that that came to me because it didn't. I just saw it. Uh, Amber Smith was in LA Confidential. She's the one that uh, Russell Crowe goes over to the car. She's got a big bandage on her nose and thinks she's been abused. But she has been cut to look like um, not Veronica Lake. Was it Veronica Lake? Or was Kim Basinger supposed to look like Veronica Lake? Hmm. Anyway, she's beautiful. And, and again, even when she was on Celebrity Rehab, just stunning. But uh, she couldn't get any acting roles. She was the the girl that uh, uh, Vincent Gallo was watching his buddy screw this mobster's uh, girlfriend. And the guy's just going to town, banging the shit out of her. And Vincent Gallo's just sitting there watching him, saying, you're disgusting, you've, you're disgusting, or something like that. Uh, she admitted that she, you know, actually did high price uh, prostitution to make money after she had been in these movies. That's a good movie, The Funeral. It's uh, it's different. It's and you know, April Ferrara was the director, so it's really gritty and dirty and nasty. Uh, but uh, I like it. Sorry that Chris Penn isn't with us anymore. But like I said, Annabella Sciorra is was just oh, she was gorgeous. Probably still is. Uh, watch The Hurt Locker, uh, Catherine Bigelow, written by Mark Bowles, starring Jeremy Renner, Anthony Mackie. It also has Guy Pierce, uh, Ray Fiennes, who I forgot was in this. Um, I seemed to, I for some reason when I first watched this, I didn't think it was as good as what um, you know. It got it got like a lot. Did it win the Oscar or something? I can't remember. But anyway, um, I didn't think it was that good. Um, but then uh, to get like Oscar recognition, uh, even nominated, or I can't remember if it won or what. But um, my friend who was in the military and in like, uh, I think he was in Afghanistan, hates this movie. He says it's not realistic at all, and it's it's he he literally despises it, and he hates Jeremy Renner because of this movie. Uh, but I will say this: um, watching it, I thought it, I enjoyed it. You know, it was uh, pretty intense, and I just as a movie, I thought it was you know I enjoyed it. Like I said, I don't know if it was like any kind of an Oscar-worthy movie. Uh, did it win something? Uh, why do I have to look this shit up? Why can't you people look it up for me? Well, her, her, her. Trivia. Let's see what trivia has to say about this. Catherine Bigo claims that no scene filmed was left out of the final cut. Okay, as of 2010, the lowest grossing best picture winner adjusted for inflation. Box office take was fourteen million, so this did get best picture. I, you know, I'm sure everybody, people are. Yeah, don't you remember? But I, I, I don't know. I like watch, you know, the Oscars following, you know, the people, you know, watching the speeches and shit like that. And but I, a lot of times I can't remember from year to year now. You know, I remember like uh, Godfather and stuff like that. But yeah, after a while, it's like fuck. You know, uh, new Venom movies coming out 2018 with uh, Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams. Love Michelle Williams. She's like one of my favorites. Woody Harrelson is also in this. Who else is in this motherfucker? Uh, Scott Hayes. I remember him from that movie where he stuck had to wipe his ass with a stick, and he played that crazy fucking 
redneck that uh, dug up bodies and slept with them and all that shit. Oh, Tom Hardy is Eddie Brock. I wonder what Venom they were going to do. So, well, there you go. Uh, watched uh, one episode of Black Mirror that everybody talks about. From what I can ascertain, number one, I fucked up and thought I was watching the first episode of the first season, and I was watching the first episode of the fourth season, which was pretty good. Uh, but it seems like it might be kind of like a Twilight Zone show where each episode is different, but from what people are telling me, there is stuff that runs through the different episodes. They're not all just like stand as, as standalone as I thought. Uh, let's see. I don't need to talk about that. I think we're going to wind this up because... Just because. Aeon Flux is fucking horrible. I could not even make it through it. It was on... Um, uh, it's on Netflix, and I watched uh, probably about 20 minutes of it and shut it off. It is fucking horrible. I've been watching the series Dark Matter, which I really like. It only ran for three seasons, and I think it got canceled. But I, it just when I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, okay, this is just kind of a harmless little sci-fi TV show. In uh, the episode, something will happen, and I'm like, holy fuck. Okay, you know, this is really, this is a lot more interesting than what I thought it was. The Cloverfield Paradox from 2018, that's a Netflix original. I thought that was going to be a series. Actually, it's just a a, a movie. Um, I never saw Cloverfield. I saw the one with uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Goodman, uh, whatever Cloverfield Lane, 10 Cloverfield Lane or whatever it was, and I liked that. Um, This one, eh, it was, I thought it was all right. It, It was, you know... And just a sci-fi movie. Uh, they really didn't have to have, uh, as some other people said, you know, it didn't really have to have anything to do with Cloverfield. It could have just been a its own movie. Uh, but, you know, just as a straight-up sci-fi movie. Nothing great, but it was all right. Worth watch. Daniel Bruhl is in that. I'm not going to talk about Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. It was all right. I didn't think it was that great. And uh, it makes me wonder why... Jeremy Renner was all of a sudden thrown into those movies, but I think it was because they thought Cruz was going to quit and not do it anymore as Ethan Hunt. I don't know. I don't know if Jerry... I was going to ask, kind of do a uh, poll, or not a poll, but a question. I'll probably still do it now that I'm thinking about it on the group. Um, uh, You know, if you think Jeremy Renner is a great actor, or just good, um, I don't think he's that great. I mean, he's not horrible or anything, but I just don't think he's anything. He gets a lot of fucking work for being just kind of an average guy, average uh, actor, I think. I watched uh, Princess Sid from 2017. This is on Netflix. I saw the trailer and thought, you know, man, this is going to be really good. It was just kind of an average for me. Um, uh, eager to escape life with her depressive single fa- from her depressive single father, 16-year-old athlete Sid Laughlin visits her novelist aunt in Chicago over the summer. Uh, while there, she falls uh, for a girl. Uh, and let's see what else. Well, I'm not going to click on that to get the whole synopsis. It's a nice little movie. Um, again, I I wanted it to be better than it was. <clears throat> nothing happened that really made it like you know great for me or you know better than average you know just kind of average uh, I've been watching Altered Carbon which is a made for Netflix series uh, starring 
excuse me, Joel Kinnaman, uh, James Perfroy, uh, Perfoy, I'm sorry, Hap from Happen Leonard, uh, Martha Higarita, Chris Connor, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of people in it. This has, is it, number one, it looks really good. It uh, has kind of a Blade Runner feel, kind of a Philip K. Dick kind of a feel. Um, um, I really like it. Some people just kind of think it's just kind of meh. Um, the way I have been doing these series is, um, you know, at first I would sit here and if a Marvel series came out on Netflix, I would sit there on a day off and watch every episode back to back to back to back to back and I would feel burnt out uh, even before I get to the final episode. Um, so what I'm doing with these shows, uh, Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, Longmire, Altered Carbon, Dark Matter, those are my main ones so right now, um, is when I watch one show, I watch one of, the, of all the other shows. So um, I'm not just watching, you know, one thing. I'm, I'm, it's like when you go and eat, I'm not just eating all the steak on the plate, you know, and then going over and eating all the corn. I mean, a little bit of steak, a little bit of corn, a little bit of potatoes, a little bit of garlic bread or whatever, a little, take a little drink, you know, mixing it up to keep everything fresh. And, you know, they're all out there. It's not like I'm going to miss an episode. And uh, yeah, Gianni Versace and um, uh, The Alienist, I've, uh, um, I started watching that. So far, I'm, I haven't really, it hasn't really hooked me. It's kind of one of those ones I want to like more than I do. Uh, kind of like Frontier. It's better than Frontier, I think, for sure. But um, I just really haven't gotten into it. Uh, but the Gianni Versace and uh, and like I said, maybe today or tonight I'll watch uh, the newest uh, uh, episode of Black Lightning. I don't want to forget about that. Uh, I want to go see Black Panther, but I'm going to wait uh, probably this week, maybe Wednesday, and go see Black Panther during the day. And I think that is it. I think I'm going to wrap it up and go in here and uh, kind of chill. Ooh, good to be back, I think. <laughs> it is. Uh, good to be able to breathe and uh, not to have my oxygen levels so low that the doctor is like going, uh, this is not good. Um, so anyway, people, if you're listening to this, that means you stuck with us or stuck with us. <laughs> I'm including uh, us. Um I'm sure Loaf will be back sometime soon. He has had some good news here in the uh, in the past couple of weeks, uh, and hopefully we will have him back in the fold. Review. He's been watching a shitload of stuff, so uh, I need to get on get him on here and uh, maybe when uh, I think he watched Black Panther, so maybe I'll go watch it and uh, the next episode we'll have some uh, pickle loaf on the bread. <laughs> All right, well, this is Dr. Zom again. It's good to be back. I'm glad you guys stuck with us. Hope this wasn't too dry. Hope I didn't cough too much or say um, um, and shit like that. But uh, I'm going to get off here and go relax. It's my day off, daddy-o. Zom.